Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Welcome in, everybody, to the Orange and Brown Report. It's been a while. We've had some technical difficulties of late, and we've been unfortunately unable to upload any podcasts. We're excited to be back, and we are continuing down the redraft path that will have us looking at the 2006 draft. We get, um, you know, with bad comes the good. Couldn't upload a couple days. That means we get back-to-back redrafts with our guest today, Brent Sobleski, who we will get to in just a minute. Before we do so, I'm going to talk to you about the great folks at DealDash. If you've never heard of DealDash.com, it's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over a thousand auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. So here's how it works. It's just like an auction, but every item starts at zero dollars and goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has just 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. So if you can go ahead right now, go to Deal Dash. It's offering our listeners extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts that are on the site. So go to DealDash.com, use the offer code BREAKDOWN, or you can go to DealDash.fm and use the BREAKDOWN after that dash. So DealDash.fm slash BREAKDOWN. So that's DealDash. FM slash breakdown. Take advantage of that fantastic opportunity. I urge you all to do so. And a big shout out to Deal Dash. So we're going to talk 2006 draft, man. And this was a draft where the Browns had an abundance of picks. They had an extra pick in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round on top of their normal picks uh, in every single round. And we'll go through them real quick, and then we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk with Brent about his, you know, what he remembers about this draft. And uh, we'll we'll take a trip into redraft lane where we'll redraft the first four picks. A reminder. In case you forgot, it's been a while. Can't take anybody who is off the board at the Browns' selection spot. So if the Browns pick 13 in the first round, can't take any of the first 12 players. Browns pick 34th uh, overall. That's in the end of the second round. Can't take anybody picked 1 through 33 at that point that you have not already selected. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a draft with the notable name of Cameron Wembley, the Florida State product, played 140 games in the league, right? Eight seasons as a starter, but really a, non, uh, a non-impact with Cleveland. Did not have much of an impact in the course of his uh, four years in Cleveland where he accumulated. He did have a nice rookie season where he had 11 sacks and a lot of hope, but he just never really took off the way people hoped he would take off. Uh, five sacks, four sacks, six and a half sacks over the next few years before he ends up in Oakland and Tennessee. I'm sure so, but we'll talk about him a little bit here in just a second. Uh, continuing down the list of names, Dequell Jackson, who did have a nice run in Cleveland, was a Pro Bowl player, uh, nine-year starter, 141 games. We'll talk about him. Travis Wilson, four games in the league, the wide receiver from Oklahoma, two catches in the NFL, 32 yards. Leon Williams, linebacker from Miami, Florida, 61 games in the league. Isaac Souls, especially painful when you look at the tackle taken in the fourth round by New Orleans, who ended up being the most impactful career-weighted value 
We'll talk about him momentarily, but that is who the Browns take. He plays 17 games in the league out of Indiana. Jerome Harrison had a minute in the league, right? Ends up running for 1,681 yards on 356 attempts out of Washington State. Demario Minter, they take out of Georgia in the fifth round, pick 152. Lawrence Vickers, nice little run for Cleveland. Uh, the fullback out of Colorado. Uh, man, another tough one. Babatunde Oshinowu out of Stanford, two career games in the NFL. And then seventh round pick, pick 222, Virginia Tech running back, Justin Hamilton, 12 games in the league. And no stats accumulated. So, Sobo, I'm welcoming you in, my man. What about this draft? Before we talk about the big names in it, what do you remember about it? And you can really dive into any way you want to take it. How much I absolutely hated what the Cleveland Browns did. And I can't get any more simplistic as that. Now, I will say this, Jake, before we get started. I thought I was going to cheat a little bit and try to do, like, mega research to make sure you couldn't catch me off guard on any of the questions being, you know, I remember I was at the Senior Bowl that year, and all these things should come back to me. But you know what? I'm getting older now. I felt like it's more fun to me turn out to look like an idiot, which is probably more on brand for, <laughs> for myself. And I didn't do that research, so I'm excited at the end to see how you stump me because Stump the Sobo is the new famous game here on the OBR uh, <laughs> podcast. And, um, you know, honestly, just looking at this overall, this is one of those situations where it felt like everything could have fell in place for the team, and yet it did everything incorrectly. And that's that's really what bothered me, especially in the first round, which we're going to get to here momentarily. But that that is the thing that always sticks to my in my mind of that all these draft busts, all these mistakes made since the return in 1999. This one sticks in my craw more than any of those other than maybe the Johnny Manziel pick, and that just goes without explanation. I dig it. Well, let's let's do this. Let's talk about who we would take at 13. Um, guys who were gone before, we're going to rattle them off real quick. Guys who were gone before 13 and eligible to be picked. We're just going to run through them. Mario Williams, defensive end out of South Carolina State. Sorry, North Carolina State. Nice job, Jake. Reggie Bush, USC running back. Vince Young, Texas quarterback. Debricka Shaw Ferguson, who is the inspiration, one of the two key inspirations for Key and Peel's uh, East-West All-Star, hilarious list of names. Um, ironically enough, the other name, Barkevius Mingo, Cleveland Brown. Anyway, uh, A.J. Hawk, fifth pick, Ohio State. Also in the first round, two other Ohio State players. I should mention Bobby Carpenter, pick 18, and three players. Sorry, still left. Nick Mangold, pick 29, and then mixed in there, who am I missing? Santonio Holmes, pick 25. So, you know, pretty good first round for Ohio State that year, right? Uh, Michael Huff picks, sorry, we skipped one. Vernon Davis picks six. Out of Maryland, tight end, Michael Huff, defensive back out of Texas, goes to Oakland at 7. Dante Whitner, geez, I missed another Ohio State guy. God, what a first round. Uh, Ohio State safety goes to Buffalo at 8. Ernie Sims goes 9, the linebacker, Florida State. Matt Leinert, 10, quarterback at USC. A little quarterback run here. Jay Cutler, who had the best career by far of any quarterback in this draft, goes pick 11. And then the nemesis who the Browns had to face forever, Haloti Nada, defensive tackle, Baltimore, Goes to, uh, like I said, Baltimore out of Oregon. That's picked up. So those are the first 12 guys ineligible. Who would you take at 13 in a redraft, Sobo? Well, first of all, I could, I, I'm could. i so happy that I prevented myself from jumping in on there and you going Vernon Davis. Can't win with him. Can't do it. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> just popped right in my mind. And also, you mentioned DeBrickishaw. This is one of my favorite things ever, evaluating prospects over the last, whatever, 17, 18 drafts that I've done. 
and you know how difficult this is, Jake. So when I say say this, I'm, this isn't hyperbole, and I can't remember who Virginia was playing at the time. And don't forget, in the early 2000 to mid 2000, Virginia Cavaliers was a good football program, and Al Grow really had them going, and they were churning out decent offensive linemen. DeBrickishaw being the pinnacle of those prospects coming out, but to to fully understand how athletic he was compared to every other prospect over the last 20 years. I remember watching a game where as the left tackle, he scooped the front side linebacker from the backside. And I, I, I was so utterly stunned. I probably watched the play 18 to 25 times in a row, seeing a left tackle get all the way to the front side of front side linebacker and actually scoop him properly to create a running lane. I've never seen anything since before or since, and it just utterly amazes me. So I just wanted to keep that in, in people's minds when you think of the type of talent that was in this class. And he was, he wasn't the only top offensive lineman that eventually developed from this class. And you already mentioned Mangold as well as another, but I'm going to cheat right out of the gates. Because you said we can't take anyone that was already off the board. Well, technically, Haloti Nada was not off the board. And that's the problem. Because the Cleveland Browns owned the 12th overall pick. They traded with their rivals. The hated team that stole the franchise to and thefted to another city and gave them an all-pro talent. An all-pro talent. And you know what the sad fact of the matter is? This isn't even in hindsight. Lodi Nada was easily one of the elite talents in this class, and he slid slightly because of his positional worth and because they wondered how much of a major impact he could make along the defensive interior. And as we all saw throughout his career, he was absolutely, absolutely exceptional. I, and I, what really bothers me is this. I remember sitting there watching this and thinking to myself, oh, my God, something something." positive actually happened the Cleveland draft they had one of the, the elite talents fall right in their laps and then they traded out for a six-round pick so once we get to Babatunde Oshinoa later I'm not even going to acknowledge that exists because I would never have traded down in the first place Lodi Nada was always the correct choice and I will add a little bit of a caveat here this is something I discussed recently and asked the insiders on the OBR I've spoken with Phil Savage since that point, and I've sat down with him and just talking football when he was running the Senior Bowl and whatnot. And he admits fully that he made a monster mistake because Haloti Nada was the number one rated player on the Browns board that was still available at that time. He bypassed him because the coaching staff, i.e. Romeo Cornell, preferred Cameron Wimley and wanted that edge presence. And he stated that he was a young GM that made a mistake because he, he wanted to appease his head coach. And that's something that's pretty been a pretty consistent story all the way throughout that he's confirmed to myself and, and via the OBR. So knowing that in retrospect makes it even worse that the team made that mistake and that they went with Wimbley over Nada when it was clear who the superior talent was at the time. I like that take. I did not. I did not do it. I, I kept it as if they were at thirteen. Um, your your, you know, memory on this one is much better than mine. So that's a, that's a smart pick. And Haloti Nada obviously had a fantastic, fantastic career. He actually was the, according to Pro Football References, weighted career value, approximate value. He was the third most valuable player in this draft. So he was very good for a while. Two Pro Bowls. Sorry, five Pro Bowls. Two All Pros. Started for twelve seasons finally left this division in 2018 
couldn't have happened soon enough. Um, would have been lovely to have him as a Cleveland Brown. I went Nick Mangold. I uh, had a little plan here. I think there are two really nice options in the second round I'm paying attention to. And, uh, you know, I know the Browns were at the tail end of the, ex- the experiment with Jeff Fain, and it, it was clearly failing. Um, so I went with Mangold, who had a really nice career. Um, had a couple Pro Bowl, sorry, a couple All Pro seasons with the Jets, and uh, was pick 29 in the first round, seven time Pro Bowler, which I think is the most of any. I know the Pro Bowl is sort of an asinine award, but uh, it, it does, you know, you have to be at least decent to make the Pro Bowl. And to make it seven times, he was pretty respected. Started 11 seasons. So I went with Mangold there. Um, and and I'm, I listen, I've done all these redrafts, so I've neglected the offensive line. I went heavy offensive line in this draft. <laughs> I was so, about to say, once we get into the, in the subsequent rounds, we're going to get big boys of plenty. But granted, I started with the 340-pound defensive lineman that was a swinging gate at Oregon. Yes, he was that guy in their punt formation, which yeah. makes his overall athleticism even more amazing and stupefying that the Cleveland Browns passed on him. Still, I'm over it. I'm over it. No, you're not over it. You're not over it. And that's okay because it was terrible in retrospect. Who do you have at pick 34, my friend? Well, in this case, when you're looking at it, look, I'm not one that was as hard on DeQuell Jackson as others. I believe he was a very good professional guy you wanted in your locker room, productive. Yes, we all know the same thing that the same topic that comes up regarding well whether it be Andre Davis or excuse me let's go back further Wally Rayner Andre Davis Dequell Jackson Joe Schobert what's that argument Jake well that's the the linebackers aren't all too valuable no 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 come on man I know you're a young pup compared to me but they only make tackles downfield that's how it works and every middle linebacker that's ever been played for the Cleveland Browns since the return. That's the way it's always seen. And that's the way DeQuell, he got that rep as well. So I'm not as down on the DeQuell Jackson pick as others, and I like him as a player. But when I look at what was available, you had to go with Andrew Whitworth there at left tackle. Um, I know this is a year before you get Joe Thomas, um, so that's essentially that's washed away when it's all said and done. But guess which one of the two is still playing? Andrew Whitworth and if there was one player in the league other than Tyron Smith that was close to if not on the same level playing field as Joe Thomas when Joe was doing Joe things it's it was Andrew Whitworth and I'm gonna be honest and one of the things we discussed last time is how we view guys at that time and I was concerned about Whitworth and how he was going to translate to left tackle he was he played high at LSU looked a little stiff in the hips but this is one of those ones when you look back on it in hindsight and what I learned of him, seeing him as a very young pro in Cincinnati, he is the only professional player that I've seen going to multiple senior bowls over the year that actually showed up with his coaching staff to work with the young players and get better himself. That tells you everything you need to know about Andrew Whitworth and why he's still playing. and He's been one of the very best in the league for a long time. I went with Whitworth too. I don't. I don't think. Uh, you know. I know Jari Evans is still there. Maybe you take him in the later rounds. I ended up not taking a tackle in the later rounds. I, mean, I know I could have cheated the system here for a guy who made the most All Pros, but um, I just. I for the many of the reasons you mentioned about Whitworth, consummate professional, uh, franchise staple type, and um, just really liked him. Right, and that's 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 a good pick. I mean, if you can come out of this draft with 
in my opinion, bolstering the front offensive line, and I have no problem taking Nada either. But uh, for me, Mangold and Whitworth would really have solidified two positions for the next decade plus. So I felt good about taking Whitworth, obviously a fantastic player, playing a long time. Amazing he's still playing. Um, all right, now pick 78. Who do you got pick 78? 78. So I'm scrolling through to make sure I'm all on the same page with everything. So though this is the one where I, I do cheat the system a little bit. I'm looking at Jari Evans because obviously he's a tackle coming out of Bloomsburg, the PSAC conference, which, by the way, is fantastic football for those who don't watch anything beyond the Power Five conferences. But when you look at what Evans did as part of New Orleans' uh, offensive front, he was absolutely spectacular. He formed a fantastic duo eventually with Carl Nix. You mentioned the All-Pros, just how good he was overall. And when you look at what Cleveland went into that year with their offensive line, you had Joe Andrewsy right at the tail end of his career, Cozy Coleman, oh, goodness, Lenny Friedman played. Eric Steinbach was probably, you know, that was right when he came in. So he was, Steinbach was awesome. But you really wanted to invest in that front and considering the talent available, looking at, at it the way we are currently, it's hard to move beyond that point. Yes, you get Whitworth. Yes, you get Evans. You added Steinbach. I mean, you're you're rolling at that point when it comes to the offensive line, which is the antithesis of what actually happened in Cleveland. Without a doubt. And I think we both end up taking two offensive linemen. I think you mentioned, um, you know, obviously I took two early. You took you took three really stellar front, front players, obviously. God, that'd be a dream draft. I took Elvis Doomerville here. Uh, it came out of it with – the most sacks in the draft class, 105 and a half. A couple all-pro seasons for the Broncos. Five Pro Bowls, six seasons as a starter. So sort of a shorter career, but a really nice peak when he was peaking, right? Um, he was actually picked in the fourth round, pick 126. He had two seasons with 17 sacks, um, 2014 and 2009, in between seasons with close to 10 sacks, one season with 11. His second year, he had 12 and a half sacks. So... Uh, for you know his first career, 23 forced fumbles, uh, 13 fumbles recovered, uh, and 366 tackles. Just an impact player. A lot of quarterback hits, 190. So I think he. Let me check here real quick. Ended up as far as career value goes, Doomerville was. Uh, he was actually kind of down low, 64 because of the short peak that he had. Um, Ended up, I think, like 13th here. So, But I don't feel bad about it. A guy who produced a really good edge for a while, and if you could get a player this good in the third round, a guy who gets you a couple all-pro seasons, you'd feel pretty good about that um, at pick 78. Pick 110 is the last pick. Who do you got? Pick 110. Oh, I had him. I was going all the way through because some of the names in this class, but we can touch on that here in a second. But looking at it, you had Leon Williams at 110, then at 112, Isaac Souls. Both of them, neither turned into much. So I looked at two of them, the two, the stack right on top of each other. Yes, Doomerville, no argument there. You need the outside presence. You didn't get Cam Wimberly. By the way, one of the most embarrassing moments of my reporting career uh, down in the Senior Bowl that year. I didn't know how to pronounce Cameron Wimberly. Called him Camarion to his face. Yeah, that that, oh, that, made, me look like a, that made me look like an asshole. Anyhow. So you have Doomerville. The other name I'll mention that was in that round um, shortly thereafter, or actually before Doomerville, but shortly thereafter the, the Cleveland Browns picks was Brandon Marshall. So you're talking about multiple-time Pro Bowler. What was fascinating about him coming out of UCF is 
he was actually their starting safety as uh, his his penultimate year in college, led the team in tackles, then moved to wide receiver and led the team in receiving. So while, yes, you have Braylon Edwards already in the roster, and yes, you already signed veteran Joe Jaravicius, that's a great developmental talent to bring in, and we know what he eventually became. So you would still you would have an outstanding wide receiver core, even if those guys didn't work out long term, and then to put him with them and then and slowly work him into the lineup. I went with Brandon Marshall, too, um, obviously the most productive receiver from this class, 12,351 yards, 83 touchdowns. Um, he uh, was the fifth most career value index points uh, behind Jay Cutler, Nada, Whitworth, and Evans. And uh, the only guy I considered, so when I really considered, was Kyle Williams, who ended up uh, yeah. at LSU going to Buffalo in round five. Six-time Pro Bowl defensive tackle, 48 and a half sacks, and really just a fan favorite who would have been the exact same type of fan favorite here in Cleveland. Uh, but went with Marshall. Obviously, I think you, you know, when you're redrafting these individually, you know, the Browns never had enough offensive wide receiver play playmaker types. So uh, you know that guy turned into one hell of a receiver for a stretch there, and and you know dominated outside, and it would have been a really nice X, uh, you know, split in receiver for Cleveland for a while there before maybe his attitude fell fell apart in Cleveland. You never know. Um, go ahead, Bo. Well, I was going to say, you know, just looking at this draft as a whole, I mean, what Cleveland did compared to what was out there in those later rounds is, is almost embarrassing. Because, I mean, yes, Jerome Harrison, look, everyone loved the ghost, and he's still third all-time in single, seat, single game rushing with 286 um, behind, what, Jamal Lewis and Adrian Peterson. Lawrence Vickers, fullback, anyone? Fullback? Fullback? <laughs> yeah, Vickers was, he was a very good player coming out of Colorado. I said I will not acknowledge the Oshinoo pick. Uh, I honestly completely forgotten about Justin Hamilton in the seventh round, but I mean, look at these names I wrote down that could have been your pick. You could have had Delani Walker, Cortland Finnegan. The, what is, next to last player selected, let me double check here real quick. Oh, I had to screw up my, my numbering system here. Let me look. Seventh round, not next to last, but 252nd overall. Marcus Colston. Mm-hmm. Marcus freaking Colston, who is the Saints' all-time leading receiver. So, I mean, there was there was talent galore in these later rounds. And I can go through and find more. You know, Antoine Bethia. I mean, he's still technically paying play. <laughs> uh, these are guys that they passed on that could have been outstanding performers. Ingle Martin, okay, you don't remember him, but I absolutely loved him in college because he was a starting quarterback for Furman and doubled as the punter <laughs> at, the, at the FCS level. So, anyhow, I'm getting off track, but there was a lot of good players in this class. Maybe not near the tippy top because there's a couple guys, you know, there's some bad picks in the first round interspersed between all those pro bowlers, but you can find plenty of guys that contributed for a long time in the later rounds. And really, just a really good offensive tackle class, and a really good offensive line class in general. In terms of, if you look at the guys who had the best career values, there were there were a ton. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight tackles in the top thirty, which is pretty crazy. Uh, a couple guards. Uh, then, you, if you look at the top eleven, Sobo, which is fascinating to see how how sort of middle to back heavy the top production was in this draft. There are in the top eleven, okay, two fourth round guys. Sorry, three fourth round guys, um, a fifth round guy, a seventh round guy, a second round guy, and another second round guy. So just like the the the, the first round heavy that almost all of these drafts have been is not necessarily 
not necessarily the case. And then, you know, there are guys that, you know, like Antonio Cromartie and A.J. Hawk who had nice little runs in the league. And like Reggie Bush, even though Reggie Bush didn't have the career many expected him to have, still had a relatively nice career, produced enough to stay in the league eight seasons as a predominant starter, you know. And, and uh, I don't think that Mario Williams became who everybody thought he was going to be the generational player, but he still had an all-pro season. He had four Pro Bowls. He had 97 and a half sacks. So, I mean, you know, not, not, a, not a heavy production draft, but like a really good one from top to bottom where you could get talent anywhere, right? Mario Williams was my first taste of arguing online about people that didn't understand how to evaluate defensive linemen. Yeah, I just laid that out there. So <laughs> when you watched North Carolina State, now they also had Manny Lawson at the time, don't forget, that it was opposite Mario. You watched anyone that played the Wolfpack this year, Mario made them completely left-handed. Like, you usually didn't see that from defensive linemen at that time, but it was, if you turn on the film, it was unbelievable how little he actually produced while completely affecting every single entire game that you could see him. This is something that became an argument, of, you know, multiple years later with Miles Garrett for, for, if you remember those, Jake, how people thought he wasn't being the great player, or Joey Bosa as well, how they weren't putting up the numbers they were supposed to put up. But if you watch the games and see how destructive they were and how they influenced the, the offensive game plans, you realize they were special, special talents. We are going to interrupt this podcast to talk about our presenting sponsor, Bet Online. You know I talk about them all the time. Sports are coming back. BetOnline.ag. Big things going on. You can wager on the NBA, the MLB, the NFL right around the corner. Make sure you're getting in there. BetOnline recently sat down with former pro players Eddie George, for you Buckeye fans, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Make sure you're checking that out by visiting BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE by going to BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. Now back to the podcast. Okay, we're going to switch over to our favorite part here, which is where I try to stump Mr. Draft, Prince of Lusky, Sobo himself, with some random ones. I've been trying to search for some random ones. All right, here, let's do quarterbacks first. These are always fun. Obviously, Jay Cutler has far and away the best career of any quarterback in this class. Who throws for the third most yards in this class, 7,263 yards, taken in the second round, pick 64 out of Alabama State? Oh, that's uh, Tavares Jackson. It is Tavares Jackson. And two spots behind him, picked six, uh, picked in the sixth round, picked 194 by Tampa Bay. Those for 4,057 yards in the league. Not giving you any more hints. Josh Johnson? Bruce Gradkowski, Mr. Pro Football oh. Focus. Right. Oh, man. I, right. You know what? I, I just want to answer Josh Johnson to everything because he's <laughs> played for every single team and every single league. I've actually pitched ideas to Bleacher Report just to just to do a, a feature on Josh Johnson as the ultimate journeyman, <laughs> as a quarterback having played for basically every team known to man. Yeah. So I, if I never know the answer, I want to go with Josh Johnson, even if he's not in this draft class. <laughs> That's a good answer, man. It would have uh, It would have sufficed in – Almost this whole range for the next four years. Uh, most rushing yards in the class, who is it? Oh, goodness gracious. Round two, uh, pick 60. Not going to give you the college. Uh, what, what, you said you give me the college? I'm not doing it. 
Not doing um, it. Uh, not Lendell Way. He slipped. Um, I want to say D'Angelo Williams. D'Angelo Williams, close second, 8,096 for his career. Maurice Jones-Drew is the ah. leading rusher. But only uh, under 100 yards, actually. He barely oh. edged him out. Did have Two really good careers right there. Oh, yeah. Two okay. really good careers. Good, good, good dual threat uh, action there. Let's check any receiving fun facts. We know Brandon Marshall led the group. We know Marcus Colston, you mentioned. Who was the third leading receiver in this class? Had a heck of a career out of Western Michigan, round two, pick 52. Oh, Greg Jennings. Good call, Greg Jennings. Um, let's see here. Anything else that is of interest? Nah, not so much. Let's check touchdowns. Nah, we'll go to we'll go to tackles. Your leading tackler in this class with nine hundred and ninety-five tackles. Not oh. not a linebacker. It is a player out of Howard. Picked six round, pick two oh seven. Still playing. Howard. You mentioned him on this podcast earlier. Was that Antoine Bethea? It is. Nine hundred and ninety-five tackles. I forgot you, he was out of Howard. That's, uh-huh. what, that's what caught me off guard. A lot of small college picks in this draft. Um, that makes it a little easier. <laughs> indeed. We have two players tied for the most interceptions in this class. Oh, both, that's uh, Both players picked in the first round. Okay. One's still currently playing, as far as I know. The other, infamous for his number of uh, younglings uh, that he has brought into the world. <laughs> Cromartie's one, then. Cromartie is one. The other is still playing, picked in the First round, pick 24 out of South oh. Carolina. Uh, South Carolina. Jonathan, not Jonathan Joseph. Um, nope, you got it. I'm going to stop you oh. there. Okay, Jonathan Joseph. All right. All right, last one. I was going through the mental Rolodex of defensive backs out of South Carolina. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like Dante Robinson. No, no, that was no. a couple years before. Yep. Um, okay, the the third most. We've talked about the guys who had the, the most sacks, Elvis Dumerville and Mario Williams. We have not talked about the guy who had the third most sacks in this class. Picked uh, round one, pick twenty. Let's see if you can get him off the top of your head. Big Ten. He's played in the Big Ten. Uh, he had eighty-nine and a half sacks. Always Tom Bahali. Tom Bahali. Really fun face mask visor combination during his time in the NFL for the Chiefs. <laughs> All the right. best one ever, Chris Canty, when he went with like the whole. The whole grill was amazing. Uh-huh. Last one. Okay. Who had, and I'm not giving you any hints, who had the fourth most sacks in this in this uh in this draft class? No hints whatsoever. None. Cam Wembley. Camerion Wembley. Yes. Folks. Fifty three and a half sacks. Third mo- sorry, fourth most in this in this draft class. Do you so, know what my favorite memory of Cam Wembley is? Give it to me. So after his rookie year, you know, we're all expecting the world. And in comes a, the following training camp. First day of training camp. In comes the next first-round pick. His name is Joe Thomas. Mm-hmm. Cam beat Joe with his, with his uh, speed rush, dipped the shoulder, flattened to the quarterback like a rented mule the very first snap of, of camp against one another. I had never seen Joe beaten with that move ever again. That showed <laughs> me exactly what type of player he was going to be. Imagine that. Imagine a rookie going against another, what at the time was considered an elite first-round pick who's coming off, what, 10 sacks, blows past you, hair on fire, very first NFL practice snap, and then it never happens again. That's Joe Thomas right there 
summed up perfectly. Well, we're doing 2007 next, and I have a feeling that we will actually have one of the few times where we have, and I'm not sure that we have maybe had more than one or two, where the Browns stick with their pick and pick the player that is there. So, uh, Okay, so 2007, there may or may not have been plenty of shots after the Browns got Joe Thomas and Brady Quinn in the first round. But you can ask Barry about that, Mr. OBR himself, and I'll just leave it at that. Let's do it. I might have Barry on to do that one. I might ask him tonight. We'll see. Anyway, brother, this is fun as usual. Anything to plug as we head into uh, end of the weekend? No, man. It's just uh, training camp central at this point. Reaction. Uh, I, obviously, those who are following around the league have seen the opt-outs for these players. These are all personal decisions. Please respect those decisions from – those individuals, uh, Cleveland had particularly Drew Forbes, caught everyone's attention because he expected to be in that right guard competition, though Wyatt Teller was considered the favorite to win that job. Uh, again, this is very personal for everyone. Uh, these men are making decisions that they believe are best for themselves and their families. And so I hope everyone's decent about it and we can just move on about our business as they move on with their lives, at least for this season. Very well said. Very well said. We'll hear more trickle in as, as things get more serious about getting on the field and and um, just hopefully everybody can be as respectful as possible about a really challenging decision for a lot of these men. So, Sobo, thanks for joining us, man. We'll catch you next week. Thanks, Jake. Talk next week. All right, guys, thanks for joining us. We'll get 2007 up tomorrow um, at some point. So hopefully you'll join us for that one. 2006 was a blast. Sobo's really good at these with a really – vast amount of experience covering these drafts so he's fun these things will always go longer with him because he's just got great insight and i uh, like to pick his brain and challenge him he's the only one i can really challenge with these stump the stump the uh stump the sobo i don't know if that's the name we might have to change or something though. i don't know what we'll to figure that <laughs> well, out well if you get me it's stump the sobo or you get stumped to steven so it, it the alliteration works we'll, we'll make that we'll make that a thing got to get steven back on for one of these soon too so anyway guys thanks for joining us we'll be back tomorrow get to the obr sign up before camp Got some good deals going as usual. Make sure you're subscribing to this podcast and leaving us the five-star review that we covet. We appreciate your time, and as usual, until next time, go Browns.